please turn to page 17 of your church Bibles. The readings today are from three extracts in Genesis, and the first is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. The second extract is from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 16. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Now please turn to page 21. The final reading is taken from Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Yeah. 
Great. Please to have your Bibles open there in Genesis. We're going to particularly focus on the first of those three readings this morning. Uh, Genesis 17, uh, verses 1 to 8. Thinking about a covenant for all nations. Well, what a few months it's been uh, in the UK. I mean, more than a few months, what a few years, you could say. Uh, but I guess for the last few weeks particularly, it feels like everything's been thrown up in the air. And we're kind of waiting to see how it's all going to land in all sorts of ways. Fairly new Prime Minister. How's it going to work out after a fairly tumultuous beginning? Cost of living crisis. How might we make ends meet? Energy security. Will the bills keep on going up forever? War in Ukraine. Will peace ever come? Nothing seems to be staying the same. Then, of course, we've had the the passing of Queen Elizabeth, for many in the UK and beyond, the one symbol of permanence in an ever-shifting world. Change is inevitable, isn't it? It happens everywhere. We're often powerless to stop it. Sometimes we feel pretty helpless in the face of it. But when we moved back from Indonesia as a family, where we served for just over three years, uh, it was a difficult ending. We were trying to settle back into life in the UK And I described that transition, that experience to my friend as being a bit like uh, being inside a tumble dryer. For a while, life felt all kind of calm in the moments. And then suddenly, everything would churn round and round again as we tried to deal with the, the change and the uncertainty. You know how it goes in your own life. You know, in the face of all of this, all of this turmoil, all of this change... Our passage today in Genesis 17, it speaks about something unshakable, unmovable, something that endures, something that genuinely we can know will last forever and ever. And that is the promise of God for our lives and our world. A promise we'll see which is for all people, for all time. Well, let's dive in then to Genesis 17 and see just what an incredible promise this is. And as we think particularly about a mission to the nations, let's see what this means, this promise for our lives and for our world today. First thing to think about here in Genesis 17, we see a covenant made for all nations, a covenant made. I wonder what you're like waiting for things. Patience has never been my strong suit. Those who know me will testify to that, my family especially, I'm sure. I can empathise, therefore, with Abraham here in Genesis 17. I can understand how he might have been feeling. In chapter 17, verse 1, we're told he was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him. In the preceding verse, chapter 16, verse uh, uh, verse 16, we're told he was 86, which means 13 years have passed since God last spoke with him. It's a long time, isn't it? 13 years ago, it was 2009. iPads were on the brink of being launched. Fidget spinners hadn't been invented, apparently. And uh, my hair was definitely a slightly different shade to how it might look this morning. For 13 long years, Abraham has heard absolutely nothing from the Lord. You'll remember back in chapter 15, God had promised Abraham descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Sounded great. Seemed amazing. But he and Sarai, of course, couldn't have kids. So, chapter 16, 
Hearing nothing from the Lord, they took matters into their own hands. Sarai said, Abraham, take our servant Hagar, sleep with her, let's try and get this family thing off the ground. Sure enough, a child arrives. And for all those years, those 13 long years, presumably Abraham thought Ishmael was the answer to God's promise. That somehow they'd work things out for God when his plan was all looking a bit uncertain. Yet here in chapter 17, God steps into the silence, saying, verse 1, I am God Almighty. Literally, I am El Shaddai. It's the first time that name is used for God in the Bible. He is the mighty God, the all-sufficient God, the God who never needs us to handle things for him. Later, as you probably know, chapter 17, verse 19, God says to Abraham, you will have a son through Sarah, and it is through him, it's through Isaac, not Ishmael, that my promises will be made known. So what does God Almighty have to say here to Abraham? Take a look with me at verses 1 and 2. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Here we see a covenant made. God says he will make a covenant between him and Abraham and all those who descend from him. And this is to be a covenant, you'll notice, that is for all people. Verse 4, take a look. You'll be the father of many nations. Verse 5, I've made you a father of many nations. Verse 6, I'll make nations of you. The nations is such a big deal here that Abraham's name is changed by God to make that plain. Verse 5, no longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. You know, if you read through chapter 17 in entirety, you'll see how frequently the language of covenant is used. The word covenant is there 13 times in this one chapter. A covenant, yes, is a a promise, but it's a particular kind of promise, isn't it? It speaks of a relationship, a binding agreement between two sets of people. So what is this covenant about? Well, it speaks of many people gathered from all nations into a special place. We've just seen that. But ultimately, this covenant is summed up there at the end of verse 8. The very last phrase, and I will be their God. I will be their God. One of the great longings that's universal to all people all over the world is this. We long to be known and we long to be loved, even though we're known. Tim Keller puts it like this. He writes, to be loved but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything. It fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. This phrase, and I will be their God, is at the heart of the covenant God makes here with Abraham in Genesis 17. It's the first time this phrase is used in the Bible to describe God's relationship with his people, but it's certainly not the last. Revelation 21 verse 3, describing where it's all heading, 
for God's people from all around the world, we read this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Who will his people be? Revelation 5, Revelation 7 famously speak of the fulfillment of this promise of a global people gathered from every tribe, nation, people and language. And friends, we get a glimpse of that already, don't we? As we look around the world today and see the world church, 550 million people who worship Jesus as Lord and Saviour, known by him and loved by him. So the thing we long for, God promises to Abraham here. Wherever people are from in the world, we can be known and we can be loved forever. So there's the covenant made for all nations. We, we move on though to see next that the, the covenant is broken. We see a covenant made, but now a covenant broken. I wonder if you saw the story last year about the car wash attendants in Italy, who decided one day to, well, I don't know why, to take one of the cars for a spin that he was supposed to be washing. Happened to be a Ferrari, owned by the goalkeeper of the Italian national football team. It's risky. You can guess what happened next. Sure enough, he lost control on a busy street. He piled into a load of parked cars. Fortunately, nobody was injured, but the £600,000 supercar was a total write-off. So many occasions in life where people receive something absolutely wonderful, but they make a right mess of it. We've just seen this incredible covenant made. God, the great El Shaddai, has established this covenant. He's set it in motion. He's put it in place. He offers Abraham and his descendants, people from all nations, the precious promise of being known and loved. It's looking good. But remember, a covenant is an agreement, a relationship between two parties. And so if God was promising to be their God, what about Abraham and his descendants? What did they have to do in this covenant? Well, verse 1, we see they were to walk faithfully and blamelessly before him. And as a sign of that, what else did they have to do? Look with me at verses 9 and 10. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenants you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So as a covenant sign of living faithfully with God, the men were to get circumcised. And if they fail to keep their side of the bargain, what happens? Verse 14, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh, will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. It's a pretty strong warning, isn't it? There's no messing about here. If they broke the covenant, they'd be cut off. Well, just like the guy who wrote off the Ferrari, Abraham's descendants made a right mess of it. Sure, they got circumcised physically, but that physical act could never deal with the inner problem, could it? The problem of the heart. A heart, not, a heart marked not by 
faithfulness and blamelessness, to use the words of verse 1, but by faithlessness and idolatry, by sin and by shame. I mean, you just read the book of Genesis alone in the Old Testament and what do you see? You see murder and violence and sexual immorality. You see deceit and greed and envy. What these people needed was not a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart, a new heart, an inward change, a heart inclined to love God and to keep his commands. Yet that was out of their reach. And so we see the covenants broken. Too often, rather than being a light to the nations around, God's people just adopted the sinful patterns of the nations around. And so the nations that could have been a part of this covenant, they remained outside of the covenant. So it remains today in so many places. People share this longing to be known and loved, yet outside of the covenant, outside of relationship with the one true living God, those longings are never satisfied. I'll never forget being in Thailand, visiting some old course mates from uni days, One day they took me to a local temple. On the way in, there was this kiosk selling tapers that people would then use to to light wicks that were floating in oil in in the top of this concrete pillar. I I said to them, look, what's this all about? What's going on? My friend said they believed as they lit these wicks, it was helping to keep the light of life burning in their lives. Or I think of the image outside the big regional mosque in the city we used to serve in, in Indonesia. All of the pairs of sandals stacked up by the entrance, while inside hundreds, sometimes thousands of people who had gone into worship to give themselves to religious ritual, found themselves with no possibility of finding this love and acceptance. Because they did not know the God they tried to worship. Or I think of my friend Gary brought up in atheist China. We were driving on the motorway late one evening. As the journey went on, so the conversation deepened. We got on to the big topics of life, the universe and everything. And very honestly, Gary turned to me that night in the car and he said, Michael, when I think about these things, I just feel so lost. I just feel so lost. People all around the world, including, including, of course, right here in our own backyard in the UK, people long to be known and they long to be loved. But outside of this covenant relationship with the one true living God, they will never, they'll never know these things. When the covenant was made for all nations, it was looking so good. But with the covenant broken, what, what hope is left? We've seen a covenant made, a covenant broken, third, a covenant kept for all nations. We mentioned earlier the wonderful reality of the global church. There's been wonderful growth in parts of the global south, as you probably know, especially over the last 100 years. Parts of Africa, Asia and Latin America. We rejoice over half a billion people around the world today worship Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Yeah, friends, we've got to ask ourselves the question, like, how is that possible then, given what we've just been saying? With the covenant broken, how have people, including ourselves, been able to enter into relationship with God? With the covenant broken, how have the nations come to be his people? 
You know, throughout the book of Genesis, there's a little phrase that's used, I think on three occasions, that God's promises are always given to Abraham and his offspring, or literally Abraham and his seed. This is what Paul says about that phrase in the book of Galatians, chapter 3 and 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. So we're being told here that the great promises were given to Abraham and to Christ. Now stick with this, okay? This is, this is crucial for us this morning. When Christ came, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He fulfilled the requirements of the covenant. When Christ lived, he walked blamelessly and faithfully before God. He fulfilled the requirements of the covenant. When Christ died as the perfect sacrifice, he took on himself the punishment our sin deserved for our breaking of the covenants. And you put all of that together. And speaking about this covenant, someone has put it like this. God has fulfilled his part as the great El Shaddai. He then sent Christ to fulfill our part as the perfect man. And now he says, it has all been done for you. Here it is. All we do is receive it by faith. Friends, can we see here is a covenant kept, a covenant made new in the blood of Jesus. It's what Paul talks so much about in the book of Romans in chapter 4. You might want to read the chapter later today when you get home. But in that chapter, Romans 4, Paul speaks of us becoming children of Abraham. He speaks of us entering into this covenant relationship with God. How? Well, in the same way Abraham did. Not by his good works. They weren't good enough. Not by his outward circumcision. That wasn't powerful enough. But simply by believing in God and having a right standing with God given to us as a precious gift. Paul writes, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now we'll come to the nations in a moment, but friends, can I ask, have you, have you received this gift by faith? This thing that you long for, to be truly known and to be truly loved, to be forgiven and free. Have you received this gift by faith? Jesus offers it to anyone today who will turn away from their sin and put their trust in him. Friends, this is a wonderful invitation to you this morning from the Lord Jesus. A wonderful invitation to the weary and the wandering, to the doubting and the desperate, to the bereaved and the broken-hearted. Jesus is a friend of sinners and he has kept this covenant for you. Praise God. Friends, won't you come to him? And friends, this is how the nations are coming to this covenant relationship with God today. This is how people from every nation are coming to worship Jesus Because Jesus has kept this covenant for all nations. As Jesus went to the cross, his blood was poured out for many. As he died in our place, so he had the nations in mind. One of the commentators describes the impact for the nations like this. Had Abraham been able to look into the distant future, he would have seen the countless millions 
of the Christian church worldwide, saved like Abraham by faith, who were to look at him as their father in the faith. Friends, there are so many wonderful examples of this happening all around the world today. I said earlier when we were chatting with Nick, one of the great privileges of my role is to catch glimpses of this. Just like when you look up to the, to the sky on a, on, a, on a clear night and you see the stars and, you, and the longer you look, the more stars you see. So the longer you observe the world around us, the more you see of what God is doing. And it's incredible. Praise the Lord. For example, in 1990, there were just a handful of believers in Mongolia. Today, just over 30 years on, over 1% of the population of that country believe in the Lord Jesus. 30,000 people. And the Mongolian church is now sending its own workers to other parts of the region, to places like China and Russia. We heard a few weeks ago from mission partners in Central Asia. They've been involved welcoming their, welcoming brothers and sisters, sorry, been welcoming alongside their brothers and sisters in the country they serve in. Refugees who are fleeing from another part of that region. Coming out of a country, I'm sure you'll be able to understand, we won't mention it publicly because of the live stream, coming out of a country elsewhere in Central Asia, recently taken over by the former regime. This mass flood of refugees has poured into their country. And so they sought to love these people and serve these people and share the gospel with these people. This is what they wrote. It was the privilege of a lifetime last night to be involved in the baptism of over 20 brothers and sisters who even two days ago would not have called themselves believers and were last night demonstrating to their new family that they have died and been raised to new life with Christ. Friends, in Jesus the covenant is kept and it's made new for all nations. Fourth, finally, a covenant concern for all nations. A covenant concern. We began by talking about the beauty of something permanent, something immovable, unshakable. We've seen this morning that God's covenant is just that. It is an everlasting covenant, it says there in verse 7. Now, of course, we can rejoice in that. We ought to rejoice and revel in the wonder of that. We can find permanence and security ourselves in our lives because of these things Praise God. Yet as we see the global concern of the God of the covenants, friends, how is our global concern as the people of the covenant? If we've slipped into seeing the rest of the world simply as a wish list for travel or a business opportunity to be taken, then friends, perhaps something needs to change. If you know more about holidays in Spain than gospel needs in Spain, Something needs to change. If you know more about manufacturing and business opportunities in East Asia than gospel needs in East Asia, something needs to change. I heard the other week at a missions conference that there are 1,700 people groups that are classed as unengaged. That is, no one has yet gone with a plan to plant a church in those places. It's not that these places have just been resistant to the gospel. No one has yet gone. Friends, as people of the covenant, a covenant for all nations, we ought to be moved by these things. In Oman, in the Middle East, there are likely more branches of Starbucks than there are national believers. 
Just think about that for a minute. More branches of a coffee shop chain from around the world than there are national believers. And despite all the weaknesses we feel here in the UK church, with perhaps as few as 4% believing in the Lord Jesus as Saviour, we look over the channel to the great nations of Europe and see whole areas in some countries, places like Portugal, with few evangelical churches. So friends, where do we go from here? You know, we mentioned Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 earlier. Often get read on days like today, focusing on world mission, rightly so. Yet what will happen before that great global heavenly gathering of people? What will happen? Let me read from Revelation 6, the passage between those two ones we just mentioned. Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Friends, there's a pretty sober reminder of the responsibility of the church all around the world today to continue to take the gospel to the nations. Friends, we've got to keep counting the cost before us. An active, keen involvement in mission to the nations is not something for a bygone era attached to the biographies of the 19th century. It's not something we can conveniently outsource to the worldwide church like we might do our IT department at work. No, until Jesus Christ comes again, the call for all believers all around the world, including ourselves here in the UK, the call remains for us to lay down our lives, to give up our rights, to go and to send, to make disciples among the nations. Friends, we have a wonderful, permanent, never-changing covenant made by God, kept by Jesus. And we're called as God's people not to hide that covenant away, but to, to give it away to the ends of the earth. So that many, many more from all around the world might share in this great joy on the final day, known and loved by the God who made them. Here are these words from Revelation again to close. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this wonderful covenant for all nations. We thank you that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ourselves can be part of this. We can know it's wonderful benefits. We can have this everlasting relationship uh, with you, the God who's made us. We can know this security and this freedom and forgiveness. Father, we praise you that you haven't treated us as our sins deserve. We praise you that even in the midst of this covenant being broken by us, your people, the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to step into this earth full of sin and shame. And having lived the perfect life we could never live, he was willing to lay down his life that this covenant could be kept for us. 
Lord, we praise you for these things. And we pray as we hear this morning from Genesis 17 about uh, the God of the covenant for all nations. We pray, please, that we will be people of a covenant for all nations. That you would revive or encourage us in our mission instincts around the world. And you would help us to, to, to give out this wonderful message to those who so desperately need to hear it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.